Let's just pray this morning before we open Scripture up. Lord God, I thank you for the privilege that we have to meet together. Uh, these are interesting times, and how we are meeting together is, is unique. But, uh, Lord, you are able to speak, and I'm trusting that you are going to do that right now. Lord, I, I pray that you will temper me in the appropriate way, that my words would be what you want me to say. May I convey what you want me to say, even in the spirit in which you want me to say it. Uh, Lord, I need you. We need you. And I just pray that you would help us all to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, when we left uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23, David was in the desert. And that was the focus on just David in the desert. There are times where you and I are in the desert. As Christians, sometimes we feel like life is supposed to be all glorious and, you know, just this cakewalk almost. There are times, just because we're believers in Jesus doesn't mean that life is easier. Um, and, and so David um, reminds us, I think, in those times that it was difficult. I think that we forget just how, or I don't even think we forget. I don't think that we know how difficult it was for David. We don't think about it. You know, we think about how he was anointed as king over Israel. We think about how he was able to take down this giant, and there was this rah, rah, this, you know, just this excitement over what David did. But we forget that the road in between being anointed as king and then finally being the king, that was a long road. There was many years, perhaps 15 years that went by, and David for much of that time was on the run, being pursued by Saul, his father-in-law, of all people who wanted to kill him, wanted to take him out. David's life was hard. We need to hear that. David's life was hard, just flat out hard. I think it helps put definition to the Psalms when we, when we read the Psalms, that many of which he wrote. It helps us understand, oh, this makes sense why David wrote in such a way, because life was hard for him. Think about it. He's anointed king. And what happens next? He's sent back to the pasture. He's sent back to tending sheep. It's not the place for a king, but that's where he's sent. Sent back to a king, or back to the pasture. Now, he does take out a giant. And the Philistines flee. This is incredible. And the people praise him for this. But that's the very thing that drives Saul crazy. Saul just despises David and wants to take him out. And so David becomes this fugitive on the run from Saul. David hasn't done anything wrong. Oftentimes when I think of fugitive, I think of maybe someone who has perhaps done something wrong. But David had done nothing wrong. And yet Saul is, is wanting to see David's life come to an end. And he's, he's out in the desert, and that's really where we pick up this morning. So I invite you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to pick up really right where we left off last week. Remember that Saul's men were closing in on David. And as they were closing in on him about to capture David, a messenger came and told Saul, Quick! 
you've got to come. The Philistines are raiding us. I think this is perhaps the only thing that, that would actually bring Saul back. And so because that Saul takes off with his men, his valiant, mighty men, and he goes to fight the Philistines. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. It says this, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, that's where we left him last, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Just pause there really quick. Um, This chase continues. The saga continues. Saul is still just bent on revenge. He, He is bent on taking David out. Think about Saul for a moment. Imagine a life like Saul's where you are so insistent on killing someone and fighting people. Have you noticed that for some people, life is just one continuous battle after the next? Because it's almost as though they create it. I mean, I think they are so insecure with themselves that they feel like everyone is out to get them, and so they are always trying to battle. They start battles. This is Saul. Saul is a man of war. He is a man of battle. He is a man who is intent on taking out his enemies. And in this case, his enemy was his own son-in-law of all people. And he, he spent so much time and energy focused on taking David out. I wonder if, if Saul ever got to the end of his life and Many of us know how his life ended. If you don't know, we're going to get there in a couple of weeks here, two weeks from now. But I wonder if Saul ever just kind of like laid awake at night and thought, man, what have I done with my life? I have made everyone my enemy. Or was he so arrogant? Probably so. Was he so arrogant that he was just like, no, I'm right. I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. Is that Saul? What a sad story. What a sad legacy to pass on to your family. That was my father. Intent on taking out everyone. Everyone that he didn't like. Everyone who threatened him. Anyone who threatened him. He wanted to just take them out. What a sad story. That's the story of Saul. Read on. Verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Interesting words there. We'll come back to that in a bit. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. 
He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Now, that's not the end of Saul, and that's not the end of David. We'll come to that in just a bit. But, but think about this. First off, these are interesting words, aren't they? Uh, scripture doesn't hide this, and it doesn't usually tell us when people go to the bathroom. But in this case, this is, this is important to communicate. And he's, the Scripture is saying Saul had to, had to go relieve himself. So he finds a cave. Guess what, what cave he relieves himself in? The very cave that David and his 600 men are in. That's the one that he goes to. And so while, while Saul goes and sits on his throne, pun definitely intended there, sits on his throne, whatever that looked like, David hears from his men, Take him out. <laughs> this is your opportunity. Take out the man. Take him out. God, is, God has actually put you in a position where you can take this guy out. Now think about David for a moment. Think about what it's like to be David. This is his father-in-law, yes, but this is a man who has tried to kill him. Not just once, but many times. Tried to kill him. And I think there must have been this part of this almost this rage. That's the guy that's tried to kill me. And I have an opportunity. And so David apparently is, I, I think he is thinking, I'm going to do this. And, and so he sneaks up to, to Saul while he, is, while he is, as Scripture puts it, relieving himself. And and Saul, this, you're going to have to play along with me. This is, oh boy, this is a robe. Oh boy, if I can get it on. Saul, this is his royal robe. You know, he goes in, into the cave where David is at, goes in, and David is able to sneak up on him. This is obviously a big, big cave because, I mean, 600 men in there. This is a big cave. Sneaks up on him. And is able to probably take a, a knife of some sort and is able to reach a corner of his robe and is able to slice off a piece of the robe. Takes off a piece of the robe. And just as David does that, he's convicted. I, I can't, who am I? I can't, I can't do this. I, I can't do this. That's the Lord's anointed. Who am I to interfere with this? God, if, if, you want, if you want Saul out of my life, if you want to take him out of this life, it's going to have to be your doing. It can't be mine. He's the anointed. Now, isn't that interesting? Because David's the anointed. I, I mean, in God's book, David is the anointed, not Saul. But from David's perspective, David is saying, yeah, but Saul is the one who is here. Regardless of 
whether or not Saul is the one that God intends to be on the throne, Saul is the one who's on the throne. And so who am I to go and and take him out? It's amazing. And so David actually, actually goes back to his men and almost chastises them. Don't take him out. Don't take him out. By the way, think about the men that David had surrounded himself with. In chapter 22, we read that these men were a lot of almost the rejects of society. They were the people that had no position. They were the outcast. That's the band of men that, that, that David gathered and Maybe part of them is thinking, of course, this is our moment of revenge. And David is, no, no, we're not going to do this. We are not going to do this. Well, look on, read on. Verse 8, David went out of the cave and Saul called out. Or sorry, and David called out to Saul. Here's his words, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when the men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master. Because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Saul leaves this cave completely unaware who he has just been with completely unaware that he was totally outnumbered, 601 to 1, completely unaware that David snuck up on him, got close enough that he was able to take a corner of the robe off. And as Saul is leaving, David comes out of the cave, I imagine quite a ways off, and and calls out, To Saul, my lord, the king. Like this this respect. And he just prostrates himself before him. and, And cries out to him. Saul, what are you doing? You are trying to kill me. What have I done to you? Let it be known today that I am not 
seeking to revenge you. I am not seeking to avenge you. I'm not trying to kill you. Look, Saul, look at the corner of your robe. I have a piece of it here. I could have taken you out. And I just imagine Saul just fumbling around with his robe and like looking at it and like, like, you got to be kidding me. And like realizing that part of his robe is gone. <laughs> and, and, and Saul is, is just eventually we see his response. We'll get to his response here. David had this opportunity to take out Saul. And he chose not to. Notice that David doesn't believe that revenge is his. Here's what David does. He releases Saul. And then he doesn't excuse Saul's behavior. He actually calls Saul out on his behavior. Did you see that? Like, this is what you've done. But he releases him and he allows God to be the one to judge him. It's this release of, I could have taken you out, but that is not my place. It is not mine to judge you. Let me release you, Saul, and let's allow God to be the one who judges between me and you. That's the response of David. I want to pause here because I cannot help but think about people, our people, who have been treated unfairly. We have all been treated unfairly at one point or another in our life to varying degrees. Perhaps it was even abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, mental abuse, releasing a wrongdoer, an offender, a perpetrator, is not easy. I believe that David was able to release Saul. Why? Because he chose to allow God to be the one who would deal in justice in this situation. He chose, I release. I am not the one to take revenge on you. That was David's position. May God be the one. May he be the judge because he will do it justly. I think there's something for us to learn when we've been wronged. And again, to all varying degrees. And I'm not here to make light of those who have been wronged in extremely hurtful and harmful ways. 
But there is a part of us, I think, that needs to look to, to David and understand that there is something here to be said. Allow God to be the one who judges, because he will. And he will judge with justice. Read on and see the response of Saul. Verse 14. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? This is David talking here. Who has, who have, basically, Saul, who have you come out here for? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? David is talking about himself here, right? He's saying, Saul, who are you actually spending all of this time and energy pursuing? Who are you spending years of your life pursuing? I'm nothing but a dead dog. I am nothing but a flea. And that is who you have spent countless time pursuing. Who am I that you care to take my life out? Verse 15, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. By the way, David is not excusing again. He is not excusing Saul's behavior. He is extremely forthright with Saul. May God be the judge. He will vindicate me. You're not going to get away with this. May God be the one who judges you. He's going to judge you. You've done wrong. It's not mine to punish you, though. God will do that. He's not excusing Saul's behavior. If you've been wronged by someone, I'm not asking you to go pretend as though it does not exist. I'm not asking you to sweep it under the rug. David wasn't doing that. May God be the one who judges. Verse 16, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And Saul wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, and you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you, David, well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will, excuse me, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. And then Saul returned home. David and his men went up to the stronghold. We see Saul recognize that he was in this position where David could have taken him out. And he kind of comes in this sense of humility. Was it genuine or not? I cannot say. It definitely swung back and changed. He could have been genuine in the moment. It, it, you know, he's, I think it said weeping. Um, yeah, verse, verse 16, and he wept aloud. There's, there seems to be this genuine nature of, of Saul just feeling this remorse. I could have been a dead man. Maybe he was weeping more over the fact that he could have been dead. 
But he says, David, you're a better man than me. David, you are a better man than me. You could have killed me. I've been pursuing you for years. You could have taken me out and you chose not to take me out. And what does Saul do? Just promise me this one thing, David, that you will be kind to me and my family. And did you recognize that in this passage, Saul recognizes that David is supposed to be the king? He says, you are supposed to be the king. Saul was this this ticking time bomb that you just never knew when he was going to go off. You never knew when he would explode. Just this pendulum back and forth, favorable, unfavorable, just back and forth. Do you also notice that Saul takes off and goes home and David does not go with him? David does not follow Saul. I think there's something to be said there. David was no dummy. (laughs) I'm not suggesting that... I mean, I think that, that David was sincere in his acceptance of the apology. But I think that David was extremely smart in, I'd be a fool if I was going to go and follow Saul back. Because if I do that, I guarantee I'm a dead man. Because he has done this many times, countless times before. Oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Take your life. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'll take your life. Just back and forth. And I think David was a smart enough man to say, I'm not putting myself back in that situation. If I do that, I almost deserve to die. I'm playing the idiot card. And I'm not going to do that because I don't play the idiot card. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be the fool. I'm not going back. And so David and his men says that they go back to the stronghold. Now, don't turn there. But chapter 26 is a replay of what just happened. Why? Because Saul has, has swung again. And we are told that in chapter 26, Saul learns about the location of David. And so what does he do? He plays the idiot card again. He goes and pursues him. He wants to take him out. He rounds up 3,000 men. Saul seems to like that. That number does 3,000 men again. The best men, the strongest men. Seriously, on a human level, these are the men that should have easily, easily taken David out. David is only alive because of God's sovereign hand. That's why David's alive. God has sovereignly put his hand on David. Did not make his life easy at all. Saul goes out in pursuit of David. David learns of Saul's location. David asks his men if one of them would be willing to join him at night in going through the camp. A guy by the name of Abishai says, I'll go with you. David and Abishai go through the camp. 3,000 men again, remember, they're sleeping. Now, that is sovereign in and of itself 
because they would not have all been sleeping. God worked here in a way that was supernatural, I believe. I mean, there would have been some guards on duty taking different shifts, taking night shifts, all stay awake, watching the king. Everyone is sound asleep. And David and Abishai walk through the camp. No one notices. No one wakes up. David goes and sees the spear. And I think that just had to cause pain and hurt. Because that was a spear that tried to take him out a couple of times. And Abishai, here's your chance, David. Man, you could take him out so fast. Put an end to this. Put an end to this nonsense. And David again says the same thing. Who am I to take out the Lord's anointed? If if God wants Saul out of the picture, it's going to be God's doing, not mine. I'm not going to do it. I won't take him out. But David was willing to taunt him a bit, and so he takes Saul's spear and he takes his water jug and takes him out and puts himself a considerable distance away from Saul's army up on a mountainside overlooking their army and yells out in a taunting way, I believe, Hey, you guys, in a sense, wake up and do me a favor. Can you tell me Where is the king's spear and where is his water jug at? Man, you guys are lousy guards. The king could have so easily been taken out. I mean, again, David is not this little pansy. Just like, okay, we're just going to... No, he was like willing to taunt the enemy. You guys are lousy. Your enemies could have taken out your king. Saul, what kind of guards do you have there? Do me a favor and find your spear. Do me a favor. Find your water jug. Oh, wait. Look, they're here in my hand, Saul. I have them here. They're here. And Saul, once again, goes through this David, you're a better man than me. Forgive me. I've done wrong. Again, this ticking time bomb. You don't know when he's going to go off. Extremely unhealthy. As we draw this message to a close this morning, I want to get more, well, maybe personal with you. I, I guess I'll, I'll, I need to decide how personal I get here myself. 
But I ask you to get, your, get personal with yourself for sure. I want you to think about this passage here. And what this passage does for us today. I ask you, is there someone who has wronged you? Is there someone who has hurt you? Perhaps left you confused. Maybe angered. I am really bothered because of what so-and-so has done. Or maybe even apathetic. Because interestingly enough, our personalities all respond so differently to wrongdoing. Some of us just come unleashed in anger. Rawr! You know, just like this, I'm, I'm, I am mad. Some of us do that. Some of us, our personalities are more just like, okay, I just stopped caring. But unfortunately, I stopped caring not just about the relationship, I just stopped caring about everything. You, you see, we all respond differently to wrongdoing. I want you to listen to the words of Scripture. And the, the, the verses I'm going to read right now, I'm going to just be up front and the very first to tell you before I read these, these are hard words. These are hard words to hear. But this is Scripture, and so I want you to hear this, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that no one repays Another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. First Peter 3 verse 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but instead with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Matthew 5, verse 39, the words of Jesus. He said, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Proverbs 24, 29 says, do not say... I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. Don't say that. Don't go there. 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23. The Apostle Peter, referring to Jesus here, said, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Do you see? What Jesus did is exactly what David did. Instead of retaliation, 
He entrusted himself to the Father who judges. Jesus himself did exactly what David did. I release this. I release this to the Father because the Father is the one who's going to be able to sort this all out. One final passage, Romans 12, verses 17 through 19. These, these words are the words that have been playing through my mind all week as I have been studying this passage. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And here are the words really that have been echoing through my mind this week. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. How do we do this? How do we do this? We don't have, on a practical level, we don't have a king running around pursuing us yet. But no doubt, you have had people who have wronged you. Let's keep in mind that you have wronged other people too. Let's keep in mind that I have wronged other people too. How do I not repay evil with evil or insult with just another insult? How do I do this? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the only way I can do this. Apart from forgiveness, I can't. If there is no forgiveness, then I only want retaliation. I only want to get even. Perhaps this Christmas season, there is someone that you need to release and extend forgiveness to. Perhaps this Christmas season there is someone that I need to release and extend forgiveness to. This is where I was been trying to figure out how personal I get here. This passage of scripture has been has gone through my head for the last close to decade. I have thought about the words of David over and over again. This is the Lord's anointed. It is not for me to take matters into my own hands. Perhaps you find yourself in a similar situation where you would say, I want retaliation, but instead I choose the attitude that David had. It is not mine to take matters into my own hands. I release, 
I release because I extend forgiveness. And really, isn't that what forgiveness is? It is, ex- it is releasing the desire and perhaps even the right to retaliate. I release it. Everything within me screams retaliation. I'm choosing to release. How? How can I do that? The only way I can do that is by releasing it to God. Because when I release it to God, I understand that He is the judge. And He is the one that said, Allow revenge to be mine. He is the one that will repay. And with that, I can release. I can release the wrongdoer. I release them into the hands of God. He's the one who will justly judge. Again, as we close, I invite you to just honestly think if there is someone who you need to extend forgiveness to today, and just because you do it today doesn't mean you don't need to do it tomorrow. Forgiveness is something we do over and over and over again. God, help us here. Because we really need your help. This goes beyond our natural ability. Our natural inclination is, I want revenge. You see, when we're, when we're honest, we recognize that all of us have been wronged to some degree. And forgiveness does not come easy. But Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for this example that I see here in David over and over again of this releasing the enemy, the wrongdoer, into your hands. God, thank you that you are able to do that which is just. You will. Thank you even for the example of Jesus who chose not to retaliate but did the same thing that David did He chose to release those who wronged him into the hands of you, God. Lord, I recognize that if we grow angry and bitter, we are the ones who suffer. God, I don't want us to suffer this Christmas season. Teach us a spirit of forgiveness. We pray this in the name, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.